0: Our first scripture this morning comes from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4a. Listen now for God's word to us. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Our second scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Listen again for God's word to us. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having growing old? But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who was born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life indeed god did not send the son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him this is the word of the lord be to god. i i kind of see myself a little bit like nicodemus You know, in the sense, at least, that I've often struggled with this idea of what it means to be born again. It's just never really been a big part of my spiritual vocabulary, probably because it's not a major point of emphasis for uh, many of us who were raised in the Presbyterian Church. And maybe that's part of my issue, that, you know, I've been going to church for longer than I can remember, ever since I was born, really, and I never really stopped. I I never had that one... Life-altering, world-shattering moment where I gave my life over to Christ, and suddenly everything changed. That's that wasn't really my experience. Now, sure, I did have some kind of powerful transformation in my life as a teenager, but but even then, it, you know, and my faith became real. I took ownership of it, and and things did change in in some sense, but it wasn't the result of you know some big. You know, talk or something in an altar call and me going forward and praying and giving my life over and things like that. It, I never really experienced that. Uh, in fact, one time, I think it was actually uh, my freshman year, <clears throat> our, our high school youth group uh, decided to go. Billy Graham was coming to town and he was on one of his crusades. Was, it was at Raymond James Stadium, home of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And so I was super excited. Yeah, you know, we'll go here. There's a concert. They have all these bands playing. At the stadium where the bucks play, I get to hear this guy talk whatever and so so I went with with my youth group and suffice it to say i won 't go into too many details, but I was a lot more interested in the girl sitting next to me than I was with what was going on on the field i don't i don 't think I heard a single word that Billy Graham said I mean that truthfully, uh, and then of course, at the end there's that moment where he invites everyone on the field who kind, who wants to to give their life over to Christ and I kind of looked up and saw these people walking away and I'm thinking, what, why is everyone leaving? You know, there's music playing. This is still going. I was confused, you know, but, and I've been through, you know, different experiences like that where you're at one of those uh, rallies and it's an incredibly powerful moment where people go forward. They're prayed for and they invite Jesus into their life. And it's this, for many people, it's incredibly transformative. Um, it's just never happened for me like that. And I think in a certain way, I've also, you know, felt like maybe at certain points, like maybe I was lacking in some way because I didn't have that experience. You know, whenever there was that invitation to go forward, I just, I never did. I mean, maybe I felt some kind of tug a few times, but it just never felt right for me to go forward and, and do that. Um, you know, and again, even after I became serious about my faith, I was sometimes made to feel like, there was a part of my faith that was somehow missing because I hadn't had that experience, that I hadn't gone through that moment. I didn't have that born-again type experience. I felt like perhaps my faith was somehow adequate, inadequate because I never had that one moment, that moment when I asked Jesus into my life to be my personal Lord and Savior. But it's interesting, though, because in many Christian circles, it's impossible to talk about faith almost without talking about being born again. I mean, it's, an, it's essential vocabulary of faith for many, many Christians. And it's interesting that in this conversation that we see between Jesus and Nicodemus, that they, there is talk about being born again, but it's, it's a little bit different, isn't it? In the way that we often talk about it. In fact, there's this really interesting dynamic going on, uh, with the language that is used. There's a word play going on in Greek. That doesn't easily translate into English. It's one of these kind of difficult texts to translate because there's something really interesting going on, but it's almost impossible to transfer that over to English. So for instance, uh, the Greek word that Jesus uses, anothen, can either mean again or from above. Okay, so Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born anothen. Okay, So either he says, you must be born again, or you must be born from above. And so Nicodemus, when Jesus says that to him, Nicodemus immediately assumes that he means to be born again. And his lack of understanding is only further compounded by the fact that he takes those words to their absurd literal extreme, assuming that Jesus is somehow expecting him to climb back into his mother's womb and be born a second time. I mean it's it's this rather humorous exchange. It, but it's an interesting exercise I think also to compare how different Bible translations uh translate these verses, whether they render anōthen as again or from above. At this point, most scholars prefer to go with from above because it highlights this this misunderstanding that Jesus and Nicodemus have. They they this is kind of impasse where they they don't quite they're, they're always kind of talking past each other, right? Jesus is talking about this. Nicodemus is talking about something else completely different, has no idea what's going on. Uh, and also, they usually prefer from above, because particularly in John's Gospel, Jesus is identified as the one who is from above. And again, it's the same exact word. In fact, a few verses after this, in chapter 3, 31, their narrator will explicitly identify Jesus as the one from above. Again, using the same word. And notice also that in the rest of the conversation, Jesus is talking about heavenly things, right? And he says, he says, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, talking about himself, of course. So he is the one who came literally from above. So most translations would usually choose one or the other, born again or born from above. And then there'll be a nice little footnote, for the careful reader to look at and say, okay, well, what's that footnote mean? And you look down, it'll say Greek, and it'll, it'll tell you the, whatever the other option is. So if it says from above, you look down and say or again. If it says again, you look down, it'll say from above. But it, it, it's difficult, though, because you whatever way you translate it, you can't quite get the full kind of measure of what's really going on here. And this exchange shows, I think, one of the difficulties that, that we often face when reading the Bible simply in translation. Because someone has to make that decision for us, how we're going to read that text. How, how they will translate that word will affect the way we read it. But then it also, of course, I think, uh, begs the question, is it possible that Jesus could have meant both? Right? That the word, can the word mean both again and from above at the same time? Maybe it's just as simple as the fact that we're trying to choose between one or the other when in fact they're, they're not completely different things altogether. I mean, after all, being born from above in the sense that Jesus is talking about is in a very profound way a second birth. It is being born again. Perhaps this is a bit what we, a bit like actually what we mean when we talk about being born again, right? When we talk about being born again, we're talking about this kind of new life that is born with, within us, that the Spirit gives to us. But however we, we choose to translate it or read it, hopefully you can see that the double meaning of this word here is used very, very masterfully. And Nicodemus has no clue what's going on. He, he misses it completely. He's left in his misunderstanding and, and responds in a way that is, again, nothing short of humorous. I mean, you can almost hear Nicodemus laughing at Jesus when he initially responds. He's, can, you, can one enter into a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, don't be ridiculous, Jesus. Come on. This is insane. I mean, you almost get the sense that Jesus, uh, Nicodemus is regretting ever coming to talk to Jesus in the first place. I mean, he comes at night because he's afraid and he says, listen, I know you're a great teacher. And then Jesus goes and teaches something that's absolutely ludicrous, completely ridiculous. And so he begins to laugh, not realizing that he's the one that's actually being laughed at here, right? Because he's the one who's completely misunderstanding this. His reaction to this, to Jesus's words, might recall for us other times throughout the Bible uh, that people have laughed in response to God's word. Uh, Immediately, I think of Sarah, who um, she heard the promise. That she, even in her old age, would bear a child. Even though she was barren, she would bear a son who would be the fulfillment of God's promises uh, to Abram that we read this morning. And and the text says that that when she heard this, she began to laugh to herself because she knew it was absolutely absurd. How could this happen, she thought. God's response to Sarah's laughter, though, is, is quite powerful. God says to her, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? The answer, of course, is no. The verses we read today from Genesis are a very important turning point. This text that we read comes immediately after the Tower of Babel. You know, that that story where God had scattered all the people and confused their languages because uh, they they, this is after the flood, they kind of repopulate And then they, they come together and believe that human beings believe that they're so powerful and so uh, impressive, they can build a tower that reaches all the way into the heavens. Because we're very good at, at being quite arrogant sometimes, aren't we? And so God says, no, 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 we can't, we can't have anything to do with this. So instead of wiping them all out again, like he had done before, he decides on a different path. Instead of that, he scatters them about the earth. And confuses, like, gives them different languages to speak. And at first, this might sound like a a bit of a a judgment, you know, on the people. Um, but God is not, that's not the end of, of God's plan, right? God scatters them about. But then immediately after that, we hear a little bit about the descendants leading up to Abram. And then God comes to Abram and speaks these words to Abram, gives him a command and also gives him a blessing. Now, why God would choose Abram from among all the people of the earth is not clear. It's not specified in the text. We're not told that Abram is a particularly holy or righteous or deserving person because what happened to Abram, his life before this moment, is completely irrelevant to the writer of the biblical story. For some reason, God chooses him. And this is the mystery of grace. Why would God choose Abram of all the people in the world? Why would God choose us to work through us, to live in us? So God begins with a command. Go. Very simple. God commands Abram to go from his kindred and his father's house to the land that God will show him. Not, not Abram wants you to go to this land or the, the land that's right over here. Not Abram, here's a map. You're going to cross over this river, go through these mountains, and then you'll end up in this land. He says, go. And at some point, I'll show you where you're going. Leave everything behind. Leave behind the promises of security. Leave behind your family. Leave behind comfort. Leave it all behind, Abram. And if you go, I'll show you at some point where it is you're going. And Abram goes. But the command, it's not just a command. It's accompanied by promises. God says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, Abram goes, just like that. No questions asked. God says go, and he goes. And it's easy to read over this too quickly and miss the sheer gravity of this moment. That God is asking him to abandon everything he knows and just pack up and go. So that's what he does. He packs up his stuff, takes along his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot, and they go. So then Abraham, who would later, or sorry, Abram, who would later become Abraham, he's already 75 years old at this point. Imagine that. And it's funny that Sarai, who would later become Sarah, she's willing to go along with this plan. She's willing to trust that God has been, or Abram has been called by God to go out. And so she goes out based on this plan, she goes out, she agrees to this plan based on the promises that God made to her husband. <laughs> Yet later on, she finds the idea of God allowing her to bear, bear children to be completely laughable. But nonetheless, they go. There's a lot packed into these short, four short verses. It's difficult, probably impossible, to get into the mind of Abram to imagine what he's thinking, to wonder about his mindset in reaction to the command and the promises. And probably even more difficult to get into the mind of God. What, what, what the heck is God thinking here? But what is clear is that God has chosen Abraham not because anything that he has done, not that Abram earned the blessing. God simply gave it to him. But, It's a blessing not simply meant for him and his offspring after him. God commands Abram to go and blesses him for a very particular reason, so that in him all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abram is blessed to be a blessing. God says, I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So you get the sense that it's really not about Abram at all. That there's there's it's almost arbitrary that God chose Abram over any number of people that God could have perhaps have chosen. But God chose Abram. And Abram responded. And he responded in a way that few of us probably would ever be able to do. This is the beginning of God choosing Israel as the chose God choosing Israel That's God's own chosen people. We often forget, though, that to be the chosen people of God means to be chosen not simply for one's own benefit or one's own blessing, because God's vision is much bigger than that. It's far more expansive than that. God's vision is that all the families of the world will be blessed by the one that God chooses. Another way of thinking about this might be to say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Blessed to be a blessing. Or for us, we might rephrase it to say, Born again to be a blessing. That is why God gives us new life. It's not simply for our own benefit, for our own blessing, but so that we might receive that grace and share it with others. The grace that we receive and experience through Jesus Christ has never been meant just for us. We are born again, or from above, when we are born again, or from above. It's not just about us. It's about how Christ chooses to use us to bless the world through us. Nicodemus had trouble understanding what Jesus meant, and it's interesting, we're not really given any indication of how this conversation ends. The narrator just kind of moves on after this is over. But Nicodemus does show up again two more times in John's Gospel. In chapter 7, a group of officers go and arrest Jesus, and they they want to bring him to trial and, and, and arrest him. They want to begin the crucifixion process, basically, as early as chapter 7 but Jesus you know he he kind of weasels his way out of it like like he does often in John's gospel. Basically he just says it was not the hour. The hour had not yet come. So that, and that's as good of an explanation as we get. But those officers go back to the Pharisees and the chief priests and they they say why where is he? Why didn't you bring him to us? And and Nicodemus interestingly he's among that group and he he almost stands up for Jesus. A little he comes close. He basically goes so far as to say doesn't this guy deserve a fair trial? Before we go ahead and condemn him, doesn't he deserve a fair trial? I mean, it, it's not exactly a bold statement of faith, but it, it might be inching closer towards that. And then he shows up again in chapter 19 after Jesus has already been crucified and taken down from the cross. He joins Joseph of Arimathea in arranging for Jesus' burial in the garden tomb. And, and not only that, but he, Nicodemus, brings with him an insane amount of burial spices to anoint the body of Jesus. I mean, it's, it's an absolutely ridiculous amount that no one single person would ever need for, uh, to, to bury someone, to anoint someone's body for burial. But interestingly, the man that Nicodemus comes with, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, is identified by the narrator as a secret disciple. So it leaves us to wonder if by this point, had Nicodemus come around as well? Was he also a secret disciple? Or or was he kind of beginning to come around? Is he coming closer? I mean, why else would he go to such lengths to, to prepare Christ's body for burial? Why this Pharisee who was among the Pharisees before who were accusing Jesus, seeking to condemn him, why would he now step forward and, and try to uh, arrange for proper burial for for this man. And so I wonder if all this talk about being born again, I mean, if part of the problem is that we've limited it to one single experience, that it's become a once-and-done kind of a thing, that you're born again and, and that's that. Whereas maybe the life of Nicodemus, the brief glimpses that we get, shows us that perhaps it's a bit more of a process. Perhaps it's something that we have, we have as an opportunity every single day. That God's mercies are truly new every morning for us. That being born again doesn't happen once and then it's over. But that every single day we recommit ourselves to serving and loving Christ our Savior. And that every single day we are born again. We are born from above. But the story of Abram reminds us that above all, we are born again for a very particular reason. Not for our own good, not so that we can experience God's grace and God's mercy, but so that we can be a blessing, so that we can share that grace. We can share that profound and radical and undeserved love that we experience with everyone around us, whether it be people in our family or strangers that we meet along our journey that we are born again to be a blessing. Amen.